You're listening to Wired for Impact. This is episode number four with Alex Sharfin. Welcome to Wired for Impact, home to creators and entrepreneurs with a calling to make a difference. My name is Peter King, and in each episode, I'll bring you inspirational leaders that'll help you clarify your vision, fuel your purpose, and amplify your impact. Alex Sharfin is one of the most brilliant business consultants on the planet. He is the creator of the Billionaire Code, which is a very systematic process to help any business at any size grow and scale to the next level. He is an entrepreneur, an author, a speaker, and a coach that has spent the last three plus decades on the front lines of entrepreneurship and business, helping tens of thousands of other entrepreneurs create six, seven, and eight-figure businesses and beyond. His story has been shared in publications such as Success Entrepreneur and Inc. magazine, as well as major media outlets like MSNBC, CNBC, Fox News, USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, The Huffington Post, and Investors Business Daily. It's an honor to have him on the program. There's so much wisdom that Alex has to share, so please take note. Let's get into it. Here I am with Alex Sharfin. All right, I'm here with Alex Sharfin. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing good, Peter. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, I I am so excited to talk to you. You um, really personify a lot of what I want my podcast to be about and really what I think people are needing right now, which is... Um, you've got the business expertise and the visibility through your consulting over the last several decades into all these different businesses and you've seen the patterns. Um, and I think right now, given the economy and given what's going on with the world pandemic, et cetera, there's a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs that are really needing your expertise and your, um, your guidance and, and frankly, your love. And that's the other thing that I love about what you do is you really do it from a place of genuine passion and heart. And so, uh, it's a, it, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. So thank you for, for carving out some time to do that. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I was, um, uh, appreciate the invitation. Fantastic. Well, I, one of the things that I love most about what you've done is that you've broken out the, uh, the entire business uh, framework from startup to, you know, exit. Uh, and for those that don't know you intimately, give us a quick background about who you are and some of your experience and how you got into what you're doing now. Okay. Um, you know, Peter, for me, background doesn't really start with business. Like I, I feel like it's important to share that, you know, as a kid, I was always the, the kid that was really different, like couldn't find my place socially. I was super, super awkward. I was awkward with, with the other students in my class. I was super awkward with the teachers. I kind of always felt like isolated and alone. And I didn't really think that I would find success in this world. I, I felt like there was like, like everybody else around me had it easier and was doing better than I was. Mm-hmm. And when I was about eight, because my parents had a business that went out of business, I started working with my dad. And working at that young an age has, has had all types of consequences for me as an adult. Like it's, it's very traumatic to work full time when you're a little kid. But <laughs> what happened was at eight years old, I realized that, you know, in, if, when I went to work, when I was working in business, like things were pretty predictable. And somebody walked up, I could talk to that person. I remember the first time it happened, I talked to someone, I sold something. It was like this confirmation of, man, I could actually do this. Mm-hmm. And so as a little kid watching my dad's business closed down and 
then having that experience of working with him, it started this obsessive thinking, like, how do you make business grow? How does a business work? How does, you know, how does this, how does this whole thing go together? And so from a very young age, I've been what I would refer to as obsessed with business. I was reading personal development and books about people who were successful starting at about eight or, or really nine, 10 years old when I, when I got some given to me at a garage sale one time. And I, I've just like, I've been obsessed with it ever since I've, I've read thousands of different stories of successful people of um, how they create success, how they, how they became successful. And, and what that led to was I, I grew businesses when I was a kid. <laughs> when I was in junior high school, I sold candy to the other kids. I got in trouble for candy because it was food. Then I started selling earrings and bracelets. It was the eighties. They were really popular. Then I got in trouble for that. Like I've always been trying to do business when I was in college um, or when I was in high school, I had a window washing company that I had to sell out of because I was too young to own it. I had signed some insurance paperwork. Everybody assumed I was older than, than 18. Awesome. And the second year when I went to renew the paperwork, I couldn't cause I wasn't 18 yet. So I, that was like my first, like stick it to the man because my business got taken away. And, uh, and then in college, we, a friend of mine and I started a consultancy where we did billing and collections for fraternities and sororities. We sold out of that business. And so for me, it's been like this. When people say serial entrepreneur, to me, a lot of the time that means like you started a business, gave up, started a business, gave up, started a business, right. gave up. I've been a serial entrepreneur because I started a business, kind of ran its course, started another one, ran its course. And so my adult experience is when I was, when I was 21, um, we sold that financial consulting company. I moved to Florida to work on an earnout of the company that we had sold. And I made it eight months of one year. That's not how it's supposed to work out. I was the worst team member or employee working for somebody else in history. I had a really hard time with it. And I found myself in Florida on the other side of the country. Uh, not a lot of resources, not a lot of network. I had a, a friend there that was going to potentially open an office in Florida. And I went with him on an interview. Basically, like, Peter, I don't know if you've ever done anything like this, but a friend of mine was going to an interview with Fuji, like the multinational corporation Fuji. And he's mm -hmm. like, why don't you come with me? It'll make me look more credible. And you can see what the interview is like. <laughs> and so I was basically a body model in an interview. <laughs> Seriously, we went into this interview and about 20 minutes into it, I started talking. Um, I really wasn't supposed to. By the end of the interview, we had really bonded with these these guys from Fuji. It was a um, guy named Leo. Leo, jeez. Uh, anyway, it'll come back to me. But uh, Lou Magarelli. Sorry, Lou Magarelli was the guy we were we were interviewing with. And here's what happened: Fuji assigned gave us the contract for Florida. And I was located in Florida and the guy who I went to the interview with was located in New York. So they actually like hired me out of that interview. And it like overnight, we started a consultancy. My first client was Fuji. My second client was SanDisk, the flash memory cards. My third client was Fuji Digital. So we started with Fuji Media, then we got Fuji Digital. Then I worked with companies like Targus and Logitech and Belkin. And what we did for the entire period that I was a consultant was we took failing divisions or new divisions or new departments or product lines and we turned them around and helped them grow. And Peter, the way we did that was just, it was process, structure and routine. And not that I knew that that was like, what was the strength of our business? I just knew that if we went in and we, we got everything organized, we put process structure and routine in place, things would turn around and they would grow. So I worked in that business for about 13 years. I worked with some of the most intense human beings on the planet. A large percentage of my clients were in the billionaire, either billionaire wealth range or billion dollar company range. 
And it was intense to work with people who move the world around like puzzle pieces. Mm. When I met my wife, we decided to get out of that business. And um, in the early 2000s, I sold my consultancy and I retired for like six weeks. It was the worst six weeks of my life. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I'm just going to retire. I'm, I'm self-made. I'm done. I don't need to do this anymore. I was going crazy. And after six weeks, I went out and bought a house like on a whim to rehab it. And I didn't even really like look at a lot of stuff. I just bought a house. And so I got so bored. I started buying houses and not a good move. Like there's a lot easier ways to deal with your boredom than making hundred thousand dollar purchases. <laughs> and what that turned into was in the early 2000s, over the course of a few years, Katie and I became the largest home buyers in South Florida. Um, really, at one point, we were the largest buyers anywhere in the state of Florida. We were involved in hundreds, then thousands of real estate deals, wow. right up until 2007, where early 2007, we had three multi-million dollar companies. One of them was over 10. We had well over $100,000 in profitability a month, some months, three, $400,000 in profitability. We were putting all of our money back into real estate. We were living very well. And in 2007, it came crashing down like a house of cards. Mm. Um, I, I still get like chills and body reactions when I talk about it, but we were in Broward, Dade and Palm Beach County, Florida, which was ground zero for the foreclosure crisis. Those three counties were actually counted as ground zero. And in, in the like 2000 something, 2009, I think the wall street journal published a list of the, the top 50 fastest depreciating zip codes in the United States. And all of our properties were in zip codes that were in the top 10. Oh, geez. So, yeah. Over the course <laughs> of a year, we lost tens of millions of dollars in equity. We lost millions of dollars in cash. We ended up going bankrupt in 2007. Most people don't know that 2007 was when Florida was really affected. 2008 was when the rest of the country started to feel things. And it was devastating, Peter. It was like mm -hmm. my whole life, all I wanted to do was be a successful entrepreneur and help other entrepreneurs. And that's what I was doing. And that's what I always had done. And then here I was in court publicly and very legally writing a check to say I'm a huge financial and business failure. It was mm. horrible. Mm. And, you know, we, we kind of, Katie and I, I think for, for, for about a week, we didn't really even talk after we went to the attorney to go through bankruptcy. We weren't talking much. We weren't really doing much. I was like getting up in the morning, taking a shower, going into my office and like moving stuff around on my desk, losing time, not really focused. And I finally called a friend of mine and I, I remember the conversation, Peter, it was a guy named Alan Waxman. And I said, Alan, um, you know, we, we looked at all of our options and we realized we didn't have any, we're going bankrupt because there was nothing else to do. And I had like kind of cried on his shoulder a little bit. I was looking for somebody to like make me feel better. And Alan, Alan took a second and he's like, Hmm. All right. Well, you had other options. You could have done nothing. You could have left. You could have gone to Mexico. You could have pretended like it wasn't happening. You could have run up all your credit cards. There's all kinds of stuff you've done. You made a choice. You're going bankrupt. That's your choice. Own that choice. Make it happen in the best way you can and then get out of this, Alex. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, what a jerk. I was crying a little bit, man. Like, mm -hmm. And then as he was saying it, as I had that reaction, as I was defensive, like the defensiveness melted. And I'm like, dude, he's right. He's right. Like, what am I going to do? Just sit around and be a bankrupt person? Like, I need to get through this and get over it. Mm -hmm. And so that spark of that phone call kind of helped us like 
I went and talked to Katie. I'm like, Katie, you know what? We're going bankrupt. Let's be the best bankruptcy this law firm's ever seen. Let's get all the paperwork done. No question. I want to be beyond reproach in everything we do. If we're going to do this, let's own it and make it happen. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing that, that call with Alan, I started getting foreclosure paperwork because we were huge real estate investors. We had dozens of mortgages and we weren't making the payments because our business was going out of business so that we were getting lawsuits, foreclosure lawsuits. And I kept looking at them and realizing that like they weren't really they weren't treating people the right way. The foreclosure paperwork that was coming, coming out was so frightening that homeowners were gonna just abandon their homes, I could tell. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking to my wife about it and we started, I started writing a, a, like, I thought it was an article at the very beginning. I'm like, I'm gonna write an article about how people should be treating homeowners in foreclosure. And like the next day it was no longer an article, it was gonna be a web class. And then the next day it was no longer a web class, it was gonna be a series of webinars and it wasn't a webinar. And then by the end of a couple of weeks, I was talking to real estate agents all around the country. I was gathering information together. And I remember sitting at my desk one day and thinking, you know what, this is a designation. I'm gonna show everybody how to fix this. Mm. And it was delusional, Peter, because I was bankrupt. We were in this tiny little rented townhouse. We didn't like, we, we barely had internet service. We were figuring out how to buy groceries. And Katie and I launched a product called the Certified Distressed Property Expert Designation. And our tagline was solving the foreclosure crisis one homeowner at a time. Mm -hmm. And the first class we ever taught was in a hotel that we knew because we had done some stuff with them before. And so they gave us 30 day terms on the class or we wouldn't have been able to afford the hotel. And we launched it with 62 people January 23rd and 24th. Um, 2008. And that year we taught 1500. The next year we taught about 5,000. The next year we taught 15,000. The company went from bankruptcy court to we were number 21 on the Inc 500 list of the fastest growing companies in 2011. We repeated a couple more times and that's how we got into the information products business. And the business we run today was born out of that business. You know, we did a ton in real estate. We had a bunch of people in real estate asking us, how do you grow business? How do you scale? We need more systems. We need more structure. And so we started teaching real estate agents. And then in 2016, we closed down the information products business we had. We opened the one we have today. And today we coach hundreds of business owners around the world. We work directly with mostly um, entrepreneurs and their operators. And we show them the process, structure, and routine that is necessary to consistently grow a business, to predictably grow a business. And, um, you know, we, we look at the results we get and we're proud of them. We look at the results our members get and that's what we judge ourselves by. And mm-hmm. the results have just been explosive. We had just in the past couple months, we've had four of our members hit their first million dollar months and all of them started with us below $3 million a year within the last two years. And so the, the process structure and routine is what really changes things. That's what I've kind of done my whole life. Yeah. And that's what we're doing now. Your social media feed is filled with a lot of those of your clients writing yeah. in like, Hey, I, I had my biggest month. Hey, it was on Forbes. Hey, this is, you know, this mindset shift changed everything for me. It's, it's really, it's cool to see that kind of organic response. Cause that really is in my mind, proof in the pudding that, that what you're teaching does work. Um, one thing that I see you really doing that's very different than everybody else is that you're very focused on mindset and you mm-hmm. help people understand like, I think a lot of coaches out there have been very successful and then they try to take their model of the world. They don't really see that they're seeing the world in a particular way or that they have particular gifts and they jam it down their client's throat saying, no, you got to do it this way. What you've done 
in my mind, again, that's very different and I think very valuable is that you're seeing that, hey, there's different types of people. There's different types of mindsets or you might be stuck with something in your mindset that's affecting your business. Yeah. What, give us an overview. And maybe this is a, a lead into the billionaire code that you have. Give us an overview of maybe the different mindsets that you've seen uh, entrepreneurs have at various stages of business growth. You know, I think when it, so here's, here's what's interesting, Peter, you know, I, people say all the time that I, I work on mindset, but I'm also sometimes very de- defensive when I get around mindset coaches because, and, and, I, and I don't mean to like, to, to, to like uh, criticize an entire category because, because I don't think that's fair. There's actually some incredible people out there that work on mindset and work on perspective and work on how you should think. But I think that there's actually a lot of people out there that it's just, and I hate to use this term, but it's toxic positivity. It's like, oh, you just have to be positive. Oh, you're negative right now, positive. We're gonna make you positive. You know, and yesterday, yesterday I recorded a podcast with one of our members and he, he said on the podcast, he said, you know, what's amazing about being in your membership is we get together and we talk about what's actually going on. Like nobody's making it up. Everybody's saying the real numbers. We're actually saying like, hey, here's where I'm vulnerable. Here's where I feel pain. Here's where I'm really challenged it is very common in our events for somebody who's on stage or in the audience to break down in tears, either tears of joy or tears of frustration. And we will stop the event and get through those tears and make sure that it works. And so for me, when I, when I look at, at like at mindset, the to me, the greatest way to improve your entrepreneurial mindset is to succeed. And so as a coach, as a consultant, I take a holistic view as an, of an entrepreneur and I ask, what are the things that entrepreneurs have to have in order to radically increase their percentage chances they succeed? What, do, what does an entrepreneur have to have around them to radically increase the percentage chance they succeed? And so what we do is we use process and structure and routine to back up the changes in mindset that we have our members make. And that makes it stick. That makes it so that, so that you don't just get that, you know, I call it like the, the motivational seminar hangover. Um, Peter, does that resonate? I could tell you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, it's that feeling where you go to the seminar and, and the guy's on stage beating his chest and everybody's excited and, you know, they're dancing and you're massaging each other. I bet you can't tell whose seminar I'm describing, <laughs> but like, right. And there's like the laser light show and the noise and people are throwing water and all that. And then what happens is you walk out of it and there's no, there's no way that it lands. Like there's no system. There's no execution. There's no, here's what you do every single day to make yes. this work. Yes. And what happens is you get into this place where you go to the seminar, you experience all these positive feelings, all this chemical change, but there's not a lot of behavioral change. Mm-hmm. And so for us, what we focus on almost completely is what is the process, the structure, the routine with minimum effective dose. So you don't have to do a lot, but you get maximum behavioral change. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really proud of the fact that like yesterday or a couple of days ago, I, I uh, did a podcast with Daniel Rosen, who runs a company called Credit Repair Cloud. Daniel's been running that business for I think 13 or 14 years. When, he, when we started working together a couple of years ago, it was at 2 million. He just hit, I think between a 12 and $14 million run rate. I mean, I'm, I'm so proud of those numbers. Here's what I'm even more proud of. Daniel says he's happier, he's calmer, he's more present, he's more aware, he doesn't feel anxiety. It actually, you know, it was interesting, Peter, on stage at our event two events ago, <laughs> member events, two live events, or three, <laughs> one virtual event and two live events ago, um, Daniel said on stage, he said, you know what, I, I think this might be the first time in my life I'm happy because it was such an unfamiliar feeling. I realized I haven't had it before. Wow. 
Yeah. And like, that's what matters to me. You know, the $14 million business, it's probably going to grow to a hundred million dollar business. If I've ever seen one, that's amazing. But the fact that the entrepreneur in the chair is knocking it out of the park and feels better than they ever have. That's what success is all about. I do not ascribe to this whole entrepreneurial success means you beat yourself up and you know, you, you, you like, hustle and stay up all night and have to do it all yourself. I think that is, that is a bill of goods we've been sold. 100%. And so for me, mindset's about protecting yourself, self-care, showing up in the best way and being the best entrepreneur you can be. You're bringing a lot of humanity to business and something, I think that's something that a lot of business coaches don't do. They're looking at numbers and profitability mm -hmm. and yes, and beating their chest, et cetera. Um, you opened up on your social media channel and talked about your failures on Instagram recently. And I'm like, man, that's so cool to see somebody uh, as successful as you are with your track record to be willing to share, Hey, you're, you know, here's where we fucked up, you know, like, yeah, royally. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, what are some of the, the, or do you have an example of the process structure and, uh, routines so that we have a better idea of exactly what you mean? Like what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Peter. So, you know, we, we think that in a business, and, and I want you to understand something. We, when I say we work holistically, we actually have three types of planning and execution systems that we train. Um, we train a personal planning and execution system that's included in all of our programs. So whether you're in our entry-level program or the high level, we always train entrepreneurs how to plan for themselves, how to understand what they want from their business, from their lives, from their relationships, how to create an execution system to, to get there. And then we also have what we call the momentum planner. So we have an actual planner system that they execute with, and most of their teams do too. Then um, we also work with entrepreneurs on their relationships. We have what we call a relationship cadence. So whether it's their partner, their operator, their spouse, we show them how to dramatically improve their relationships through process especially those that are married are married. My wife always says process in a marriage isn't sexy, but you'll end up having a lot more sex. And so we, we share that openly. And then the third types of type of process and structure and routine we have is in the business. And so I'll, today let's talk about the business. When you look at um, anybody who's gotten a business to a, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, they've done it mostly by doing everything themselves. And one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs to do is to go from doing everything themselves up until where they need help and then start getting help and really start handing things off. And so what we do is we help with that transition all the way from a couple hundred thousand dollars to hundreds of millions, because it is a constant and consistent transition of behavioral change, offloading, giving people stuff to do, making sure that it's being done right and doing it in a way where you don't feel like you need to go check on everything and do it all yourself. And we, we coach three macro systems. We also coach hiring and onboarding and protecting your team and everything else. But the three macro systems we coach are, are the following. One is strategic plan. We show you how to make a renewable monthly strategic plan that everyone on the team understands. Everyone knows where they're going. So there's no doubt about what you're doing. That's, that's crucial. It's a roadmap. In 99% of small businesses, there is no plan. The entrepreneur is making it up as they go along. That's why they are the biggest bottleneck. That's why they're doing it all themselves. The only way you get out of being the biggest bottleneck is to create a plan. Mm -hmm. The second system we coach around is a communication structure where you communicate the plan in a systematic way so that you know when to show up, how to show up, how to talk to your team. And we show entrepreneurs how to keep the trains running on time, how to have everyone on the team know what's going on, how to have exactly what they need from the business, how to let them plan it in about 300 hours a year. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you look at the average entrepreneur, they're spending anywhere from about 1,500 to over 2,000 hours a year doing that stuff. We show a radical improvement in time. That's and then the, 
Sorry, go ahead, Peter. So I was going to ask you, uh, in my limited experience, I've run into business owners who, who are bumping up against that plateau that you're talking about. They, they, they're over-controlling, they're micromanaging. They maybe even consciously are aware, you know, but their, their justification is often like, well, nobody cares as much as I do, or I want it to be perfect. Uh, and there's a level of, of stubbornness there that can be very difficult to crack. How yeah. have you gotten through that? Or do you look at those clients and say, you're just not a fit for us. We need somebody oh, no. more open-minded. No, those are our favorite clients. Okay. Um, here's why. You know what? Here, here's how I look at that. So, so a lot of other business coaches don't like those clients. Um, they'll actually fire those clients and fire members who, who have that, that feeling like I need to do it all myself. Here's how I look at it. Those are the most conscientious, person, conscientious people on the planet. They are so obsessed with the results. They're so conscientious about what they're doing. They're afraid to get help because they don't want to break anything. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at members like that, we have a saying in our memberships, you're not a unicorn. And if somebody doesn't get it, like in an event, here's what happens, Peter. If, if we have an event and somebody raises their hand and goes, well, there's this thing that I do that no one else can ever do. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you know, it's usually something like bookkeeping or, like, you know, <laughs> but they, they raise their hand with the thing that they, you know, I, I'm the only one who can do this. You'll see the rest of the people in the room go, oh, here it comes. Like, get your popcorn because we have this conversation about, do you think you're a unicorn? Like, do you really think you're the only person on this planet out of billions of people who can do that? Like, let's talk about how much of an ego you have to have to maintain that position. Mm -hmm. And we say, you're not a unicorn. And I say, see Daniel over there? He used to think he had to answer every customer service ticket. Now he has a $14 million company. He's not a unicorn. And do you see, you know, Jesse Jean over there? She used to think she had to talk to every single person that ever contacted her. Now she has an over a million dollar company. Like mm -hmm. she's not a unicorn. And so none of us are unicorns. And then sometimes we even say, you're not an effing unicorn if they don't mm -hmm. get it. And the whole room will say it. And, mm -hmm. and the reason is we want, we want us all to like check our egos at the door and understand that not only can somebody help you with it, you're probably much better off with somebody helping with you with it. And let's get real, other than a couple of things in your business, there are people out there that are way better at it than you are. Lose, lose the ego, get the help you need, and everything changes. So for us, we even had stickers printed that said, you're not a unicorn. <laughs> do, you, do you work with coaches? Other coaches? Absolutely. Because well? a lot of coaches that I know will have that level of, I, I, I'm an artist, and I'm, I'm, I'm intuitively coaching in the moment or whatever, and it's, I can't scale that out, or I need to do the sales calls because it's their relationship with me. How do you help? And in that regard, there's, they think they are a unicorn because it's them that the people are hiring. They are the product in a lot of ways. How do you navigate that? How do you help them see to break out of that so that you can have a sales system and, a, and maybe even a coaching team that will coach their philosophy or whatever, but do it in a way that is consistent with their, with their heart and with their value set? Well, we have a process for this, Peter. And it's, it's like, it's a multi-step process. It starts with it really starts with mindset and then it moves over to branding your process. And then it moves over to really like consistently increasing this, the time that you spend strategically in the business. So let me kind of start with the mindset. We have this saying in our, in our group, you know, when you look at our, our current membership, we have 200 and something about 220 companies around the world. All of them are expect they're essentially expert run businesses. So, you know, we work with coaches, consultants, um, practitioners, e-commerce companies, software as a service companies. But when you look at the commonality with all of them, there is an expert that's running the business. And 
in expert businesses, what you just described is maybe the biggest constraint that is perceived by the entrepreneur. It's like, I'm the expert. Everybody wants me. You know, I used to hear this in real estate all the time. I'm the agent. Everybody wants me. If I don't show up, they're upset. My team is there. Um, all these perceptions that entrepreneurs both have and then amplify for themselves. And, you know, here, here's the mindset that we have in our group. Um, if somebody, if, if we're in one of our events and somebody even starts to ask a question where they say something like, um, you know, Alex, I, I just don't feel like anyone else can do this. The rest of the room like puts their pen down, sits back and knows that we're going to have a conversation that we have all the time. And the conversation is you're not a unicorn. And we actually like, I call that out in the, the room. I, I'm like, look, stop. You are not a unicorn. We all want to believe we're unicorns. Our egos want to convince us we're unicorns and we're the only ones that can do it. Ever since you started as an entrepreneur, there's been this conscious or unconscious programming that says, if it's going to be done right, I have to do it myself. And like all of these, these programs that we have actually work against us scaling and growing and making an impact as an entrepreneur. So the way that we talk to our members is, you know, not, not only are you not a unicorn, we need to get this out of your mind. We need to stop with this. I'm the only one who can do it. And so if somebody doesn't let go of their unicorn status, we like, people start joking about it and that becomes a topic of discussion. And here's why. If you look at any business out there, you can make the, or especially any expert run business, you can make the, the, the argument that the expert needs to be involved in everything. Well, if you make that argument and, and you don't challenge it, it is the biggest limitation to growth of a business. And we've seen that over and over again with people who are in the expert position. And then the constraint is they feel like they have to talk to every customer, um, show up for everything, be there for everything. And it just doesn't work. And so the, the, the mindset is first, you need to let go of this. You need to let go of unicorn status. I often joke with people in my classes or sorry, in, my, in our events, uh, can you imagine, like, I'll say, what is it that you need to do when you say, you know, I'm the only one who can do this. And I mean, I've had people say stuff, Peter, like, well, I'm the only one who can do the books for my business. Right. <laughs> like, that's a big one. That's actually, you, you laugh, but that's actually a big one. We hear that over and over again. And I'll say, okay, I wonder if Elon Musk is still doing the books for, uh, for SpaceX and Tesla. What do you think? Yes. Like, cause how would the complexity in your business, do you think it's equivalent to the complexity in, in SpaceX or Tesla? So <laughs> let's just compare those two mindsets. So you need to do the books in your million dollar business, but Elon Musk can run two multi-billion dollar businesses that are changing the world. And let's get real. Do you even think he looks at the books? Like, let's get really, really honest about this. And so we, we start like pointing out that there's a fallacy in the mindset. Now, Peter, here's, here's the tactical part of getting out of that thinking. The tactical part is branding your process. And here's, here's what we mean by that. When you're an early coach or consultant, you're basically selling yourself. You're selling your time. You're trading dollars for hours in most cases. And when somebody is buying you, when they're buying, oh, I'm going to get coached by Alex Sharfin, then they have the absolute expect expectation that I'm going to show up on a call. I'm going to be the one coaching them. I'm going to be the one moving them through our process. When you, when you shift that and you stop selling you and you start selling a, a branded outcome, everything changes. So we actually did this in the past few years. When I first started coaching in our current iteration of memberships, we were selling coaching with me. We were sending coaching or sorry, we were, we were um, selling me. We were selling like, you're going to get to work one-on-one -on -one with me. And in 2017, the people that signed up to work with us had Voxer access to me. I did their onboarding calls. 
it was a lot of work, but it was also how we built out our platform, you know, based on what questions people had, we built out content, we cleaned the entire system up. And then as we transitioned from me doing everything, we stopped selling me and we started selling a result. We started selling, you know, you have a cadence in your business, you have clarity in your business, you have the structure, the process, the routine you need in your business. And we call that the sharpen cadence. And we also, we sell the sharpen cadence. And then in some conversations, we talk about the sharpen process, which is our five-step process of analyze, prioritize, commit, execute, and renew. And when people get on a call with us today, we tell them, you know, we're going to help you install a cadence in your business. We're going to help you understand this, this dynamic process at multiple areas of your business. And these are the outcomes you're going to have. You're going to have a clear strategic plan. So everybody on the team understands what's going on. If you don't have a team yet, you're going to have a clear strategic plan. So you can anticipate who you need to hire, whether it be contract or an employee. Then we explain to them, you're going to have a system to communicate that plan with a high level of certainty that you're going to get what you need so that you can continue to move forward. And you're also also going to have the frameworks and the application system so that you can continuously build the infrastructure of your business without having without thinking to yourself like am I doing this right am I making the right decisions you're gonna have a very high level of clarity confidence and commitment and so today when somebody gets on a call with us they're not even asking about talking to me they want the outcomes that we present mm -hmm. and so that step two is really branding the process you know it's interesting we just had um, one of the businesses that we work with I think it's Will Taylor, um, went from selling fitness services to, to branding his process, PACT, the PACT method. I think it's P-A-C-T method. I can't remember what it stands for. But he said, just by changing it from selling, I'm the guy who's training you to, these are the services we sell, that people who'd been following him for two or three years reached out and signed up. They're like, oh, now we get what you do. You do this <laughs> thing where we get these results. And so overnight, it went from, they didn't sign up when they were getting him. Now they're getting the result and they're signing up. So whenever an expert tells me like, I can't get out of the driver's seat, I can't, I have to be the one doing it. I know two things. One, it's the most li limiting belief that you can have as an expert. And two, you're actually giving up business thinking that way. Mm -hmm. Because the vast majority of people want the result. They, they really, when you, when you boil it down, they don't care about the process or who they're going to talk to or what, well, they care about the process. They don't care about who's going to administrate the process. They want to trust the process. It's going to get them the result. And so we've seen that over and over again. Yes. And then the third thing that we do with our members is we need to start you, when, when you, when you're in an expert run business, one of the things we want to look at is we want to inventory where you're actually spending your time. Now, this is, this is one of the, the tools that we use as a company over and over again when we're coaching. We constantly talk about how you're using your time and making your time more strategic. And so one of the processes we used in expert businesses is to have the expert running the business conduct a time study. And this is one of those, those strategies that works, but a lot of people fight. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, where it sounds challenging to carry paper around for two weeks write down in 15 minute increments everything that you're doing and at the end of those two weeks analyze the data that you have that sounds hard and honestly peter it is hard like i'll be honest with you every time i do a time study i have to sneak it up on myself i like i print out the documents i put them on my desk i pretend like they're not there the next morning i come into my office i'm like okay i'm doing a time study it's like it's hard to get it started yeah 
But here's what happens every time. Halfway through the first day, I'm already having realizations. Three days in, I'm changing things. Mm -hmm. Two weeks in, I now have clear data as to where I'm spending my time. And I go through each 15-minute block and I mark it with one of two things, either an S. There's, a, there's other analysis we do, but this is the high-level 50,000-foot analysis. We either mark it with an S or a T. If it's an S, that means it was something that was strategic, which right now in our growth and where we are as a business, I should be doing that today. If it's marked with a T, it's something that we're at the point where somebody else should be doing this or could be doing this. And so every three months, I do a time study, and sometimes I do it more often, but every three months, I'll do a time study, mark S or T, and then anything that's tactical, that tactical stuff gets offloaded to somebody else. And you know what happens in the next 90 days? My strategic time increases. Mm -hmm. And so, and what, what is strategic or tactical actually shifts over time. You know, in our last business, the Certified Distressed Property Expert business, when we were first starting our real estate products, I was the only speaker our company had. And had you, and if you had talked to me back then, I would have told you something like, I, you know, I don't know if I can train other people to do this. I'm the only one who did all the research. You know, I, I mean, I had a lot of those same belief systems mm -hmm. and we got overwhelmed with business. We actually had Remax reach out to us and say like, Hey, we really want to, we want to do a lot more business with you. We're going to probably put 10,000 people through your course in the next year, which is a great call to get, by the way, when you have a $500 product and somebody says, we're going to get 10,000 people through them. Yeah. We were like over the moon. The math works. We immediately realized I couldn't do it. And so we hired this guy named Tony Martinez out of Florida. He's still, uh, still a friend of mine. And <laughs> Peter, like I, I was so worried about it. I had Tony train with me independently. He had to watch video of me speaking. He came out to an event and shadowed me for the whole event. He came out to an event and spoke like three times. And then we finally handed over his event. And at the time, on a scale of one to five on our comment cards, I was averaging like 4.6. So like, you know, I thought I was crushing it. Tony went out and on his first event did a 4.8. So beat me, like beat me at what I thought I couldn't turn over, what I thought I could never do, right? And, and a year later, we had a, a team of probably anywhere from 12 to 15 speakers at any point in time that were deployed around the country. And some, some months we had 30 events. Wow. So, and we had in any given week, we might have three to five events in different parts of the country. So had I hung on to that unicorn status and been the only guy who could speak and never gave it, given it up, you know, our, our business would have been completely constrained and there's no way we would have scaled to where we did. Mm -hmm. That company actually went from zero in, in 2000 or in 2007, we did 127,000. In 2011, we were the 21st fastest growing company in the United States wow. at 9.9 .9 million. Wow. And the only way we did that was I let go of what I did well. And, and you know, that one of the biggest parts of scaling for an expert or any other business is, is going through the steps of one, building systems and process around what you do well, then hiring the team to do what you do well, then scaling the team to do what you do well. Those are three different individual disciplines. And it starts with what I just talked about, the mindset, branding the process, and then getting really clear around what you need to do and what you don't need to do through a time study. Are you the one as the, as the expert in that particular scenario, are you the one that's actually building out what the branded process is or do you have help with that? Or how do you, cause sometimes it's hard for the expert to see themselves to know what they're even an expert at, if that makes sense, because they're yeah, well, because they're totally a leader, et cetera, or it's their gift and they just take it for, for granted that they're so good at it. Um, how, how do you help extract that out of the, the expert's mind? We actually have a module in our program that goes through this in detail, but I can give you high level. If you want like the highest level that there is, it's, it's really looking at 
what is the, as an expert, what's the process you go through to get the result you get? And here's what I hear from experts all the time. Well, I don't have a process. I do it by feel. Here's what we found in 100% of cases. That's not true. You have a process. 90% of it is a process. 10% of it is feel. And really, the 10% is probably not necessary. And it might be where you get yourself in trouble. So how can we go back and say, like, what does this really look like? What's the, the system? What's this, what's the, what are the steps that you really take? And it's a, it's a matter of, of, you know, getting your ego out of the way. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest arguments that you have in this, I need to be the person, is that there's an ego play there. There's a massive ego play there that I'm, I'm necessary. I need to be there. Peter, we see this all the time. In fact, let me show you just how dramatically this ego play works, um, shows up. And yeah, no, it is ego. So as entrepreneurs, we have the need for connection. We have the need for contribution. We have the need, we actually have the need to be important. It's one of, the, one of the, the things that most entrepreneurs don't ever admit, but we have the need to both be and feel important. And so here's what will often happen to our members. In fact, it happened to uh, so many of our members in the past year, and like uh, uh, Darian Khazravi, we call him Cosmo. He runs Cosmo Qs. Um, he's an e-commerce company. Daniel Rosen, who runs um, Credit Repair Cloud. I'm trying to think of other people. Um, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on a couple of names, but here's what happens. We start working with an entrepreneur who is like the central hub of the business and is, is, all, is like communicating with all the team members, making all the trains run on time, doing all of it. And we come in and we say, wait, let's clarify this process. Let's build the systems and structure around you. Let's get you into what we call a passenger seat. So Peter, that we have a concept in our delivery programs called passenger status. And what that is, is we want to move you into a passenger seat in the business. And here's what that means. That means you're no longer running any meetings. You're not making all the decisions. You are not the primary focal point of of really any of the tactical outcomes in the business. And you're in this place called passenger status where you can give your team really clear outcomes and you can coach success along the way so that they, they, they are more successful through your coaching. And here's what happens. When we talk about passenger status in our classes, you can see everybody start leaning in like, wait, how do I get there? How do I get to the place where I can run a business from a passenger seat where I'm not in charge of everything, where I'm not making all the decisions? Like that sounds incredible. And then we'll put somebody up on a panel and we'll talk to them about passenger status. And they'll say, you know, eight months ago, I was doing everything. Now I'm really not doing that much at all. And what happened on one of the panels was we had Daniel Rosen up there and he said, you know, at first it was great. Like I I thought, you know, Hey, I've I've gotten to this place where my business doesn't need me. And they said, and the next day it wasn't so great. I had a really hard time figuring out what I needed to do and what I, what I, what I should be doing. And then by the third day I was back in my support tickets and doing the thing that I did at the very beginning of the growth of the business, because I was so uncomfortable not having demands on my time and not having this significance of being the person that was doing everything. Mm-hmm. And in that case, uh, what Daniel did was sit down with his operator and they created a new job description for him and got him doing only what the business needed him doing. Interesting. And, and it's interesting because you, you actually get to this point where as an entrepreneur, the business, you turn around, the business now manages you. And in passenger status, that's what, that's what happens. But, you know, I brought that point up because this feeling of I'm a unicorn, this feeling of I do everything is such a huge, compelling entrepreneurial feeling that a lot of people get so stuck in it 
that when they get out of that, because that's the goal for all of us, right? We want freedom. Yes. A lot of times when entrepreneurs grab a little taste of freedom, they dive right back head first, like all the way back down to support tickets. Right. <laughs> it's so fascinating, the human psychology. Um, and one of the things that I've seen in my, in my um, limited experience with entrepreneurs and CEOs in that stage is they'll get to that, that point like you said, and then revert back into the business. And what they don't necessarily see is that if they are to break through that glass ceiling, there is a whole nother level of, <laughs> of growth and complexity and, and responsibility. Yeah. But it's, but it's an, and significance. Um, but it really, in, in my mind, it shifts to more impact. And this is one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on this call. Cause you naturally use the word impact in your language. Cause you're, you're it's, it's genuine. Yeah. Um, how, how does one, well, let me just ask you this first. What does impact look like for you and your company? How, how does that manifest? Well, you how know, it, how do you want it to look like? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you how it looks now. So, you know, I have this very unique belief system and I wrote this book called the entrepreneurial personality type. And one of my like deepest held beliefs is that entrepreneurs are the most consistent source of positive human evolution on the planet. And when I look throughout history, when human beings moved in a direction, when we evolved, when we made things happen, when we improved the world around us, if you you know dig into any one of those stories, there's an entrepreneur like making things happen. Yes. And so for me, when I talk about impact, you know, we, we coach 200 entrepreneurs around the world who the, our mission statement actually states, we help visionary entrepreneurs who can't turn it off and want to make a living just as much as they want to make a contribution. And so when we, when, when you talk about impact, I look at the fact that we have 200 members on our latest poll, 76% of them were growing in the middle of a pandemic and their average growth was over 30% per year, which show me another membership. They can show you those numbers right now in the middle of all of this. And when I look at that, you know, to me, the, the impact that my team and I make is that we support the entrepreneurs that are out changing the world. And at the same time, we're also making this secondary impact where we're running this team where we have a highly congruent team and a very connected culture. And we develop people incredibly fast. Like give you an example, my director of operations, Haley, started with us two years ago as a social media admin. Then she became an executive assistant. Then she became an operator. Then she became operations manager. And then she became director of operations in a, in a little under two and a half years. Mm. And we, we do that routinely. We take people like Eddie, who, who started with us as a camera guy, like no joke, just a camera guy. He went from a camera guy to then getting involved in our podcast and in uh, kind of helping us with the other recordings and some other technology stuff we were doing, then moving into supporting marketing, then becoming a marketing coordinator and still doing our camera work and our video. And, you know, when I look at impact, it's really, it's, there's, there's two major areas of impact. Well, actually I would say three. One is our team. We are growing human beings like crazy here. The second one is our clients and our members and their teams. And then the third one is our members and their customers. All people. All human beings. When you look at, and you know, I, I think of like one of our members, Rachel Rogers, who is, she's just amazing. She's one of the most intense entrepreneurs I've ever had the privilege of working with. And Rachel started with us, I think a little over a year ago. I think her business was right around one or 2 million. And she just recently had her first million dollar month. And what she does is she shows people, uh, 
and I would say she shows an underserved population. She goes directly after minorities and, and blacks and people of color and like people who feel underserved in this market. She had a line on her sales letter that I, I was like, this is one of the most polarizing lines I've ever seen on a sales letter. It said, if something like, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, if you don't miss Obama every day, then our program's probably not for you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I wanna make things very clear. And, and you know, even in that level of polarization, she went from, you know, a, a million dollar, $2 million company to having a million dollar month and then backing it up with a six or $700,000 month. So just completely changing the climate of her entire business. And, and when, when you look at who she serves and how she serves them, the impact she's making is overwhelming. So for us, you know, I, I, I used to be in consumer and computer electronics. I was a consultant for a lot of years for, for large companies. And it was fun. Like it was fun to sell SanDisk and, and to, to put, you know, flash memory into the market for the first time. It was fun to work with Fuji and Microsoft and Belkin and Targus and huge brands like that. There was, there was a lot of professional reward in it. But when I look at what we do today, I realized just how empty that was because the impact was I was selling retail goods. Today, the impact is I'm helping on change entrepreneurs' lives and their entire families. And I, I would say in some cases, generations of families. Mm -hmm. and, it, and at the same time, they're out doing the exact same thing. So if we can be a small part of the support of that, you know, we, we, we are an impact-driven company. We're a contribution-driven company. I love that. You mentioned the growth of your clients right now in this uh, turbulent economy and pandemic and election yeah. cycle, et cetera. What, do you, what is the single common thread amongst all those? Why that growth with your clients? So, you know, we, we talk to our clients about one of, the, one of the things that you must do as an entrepreneur is create a reality distortion field. You have to create a, a you know, they talk about it with, they, they used to talk about it with Steve Jobs, that he was incredible at creating this new reality that everybody immediately bought into and believed. You know, the, the first iPod was a technological impossibility when he proposed it to his teams. Mm. So many of Apple's products were that like that, like there was no way you could do it given what was in the market today, but he did it anyway. And it's creating this, this belief system where the world can be in crisis, but you and your team can be in momentum. Mm. And the, one of the facts that we all have to accept in a crisis like this <clears throat> is that if you go back through history, especially in the United States, and you go back to the 1918 flu pandemic, which has come up a ton recently for obvious reasons. And you go back to the Great Depression and you even go back to the Great Recession or the oil crisis of the 80s and 70s and 80s or the dot-com crisis or even 9-11. More millionaires and billionaires were made in the times directly following those crises than in normal markets. And so one of the things that we not only have to like understand, but I, I believe as entrepreneurs we should accept is that we have to convince ourselves we are going to grow through a crisis. Here's what happens to a lot of entrepreneurs, to a lot of businesses. A crisis like this starts up. In fact, you know what? This is interesting. I'll, I'll give you the tale of two businesses. I'm not going to use names. So there's this guy that I follow online who runs three medical clinics. This is really an interesting story. He runs three medical clinics. And probably in April or May, he started going to protests, like, you know, anti-mask protests and not, not Black Lives Matter protests, but anti-mask protests and started posting some stuff about how the tyranny and irritation he had with the government. And over the course of two or three months, his page basically turned into an anti-mask 
I don't know really what else to call it. Just an anti-mask page. Man, there were some weird correlations drawn with masks, like masks to Nazis and masks to, you know, all this other stuff. And, and so I, I sent him a message one day. I was like, hey, man, how's your business going? And he messaged me back and he's like, terrible. You know, all three of our clinics were shut down. We barely got to reopen. Most people aren't coming back. They're really scared about what's happening. You know, it's, it's just crazy what's going on, what the government's doing. And I'm like, huh, well, could have predicted that. Now, at the same time, I have a, a member of ours and I'm allowed to share this story. Her name's Lori Noga. She is amazing. And she owns three dental clinics. And at the beginning of this crisis, she's in Washington, her clinics were shut down. She had to furlough 30 people from every, every, every part of her business. She, can only, she only kept one person on. It was her and her operator, Tiffany. And for months, they worked tirelessly, like figuring out what they were gonna do. What were they going to do next? At one point I had a call with Lori where she's like, you know what, Alex, even if it all goes away, I'm confident I can build it back. I'm like, yes, you can, Lori. That's the exact way you look at it. Yeah. Because when you're in a crisis, if your mind is saying retreat, protest, go fight with people, make a bunch of noise, get distracted, your mind is not saying, where's the opportunity and how do I grow? And so the only thing I saw Lori thinking through that time was not why is this happening to me and why is the government so lame and why, who do I need to yell at and argue with and what protest can I attend? What I saw her saying was every single day, how do I turn this obstacle, this crisis, this massive impediment to my growth into what will make me grow? Yes. And I remember her getting on one of our membership calls, her clinic still were, her dental practices still were not open. And she like said something to all of our membership, like, I, I'm, I'm starting to think this might be the best thing that ever happened to me. My mind shifted. I'm thinking about things differently. I'm seeing the world differently. I see opportunities I never saw before. So check this out, Peter. Around the same time that I sent that other guy that message saying, hey, how's everything going? And he told me how horrible the world was. Lori, um, was at a point where I think now she's way beyond this, but I think back then, as soon as her clinics opened back up, she was at 120% of pre-COVID numbers. I think right now she's at like at 135% of pre-COVID numbers. <laughs> and all, you know why? Because the second her clinics opened, actually before her clinics opened back up, she was sending out communication and talking to people and telling them that she was going to be open and this is the precautions they're going to take and this is how they're going to handle it. And if you have dental work that needs to be done, this is how you get priority treatment and this is how we're going to bring you in. And you know, a, a lot of dental practices saw a little rush at the beginning and then it died off. Mm -hmm. Lori's business now, we just had our, our event uh, last week and she was in our grow and scale group, which is the group that I meet with privately. And she let us know there that pre-COVID, she was around 3 million and change. Post-COVID, she's over 5 million. That's incredible. It's incredible. But you know That's what? Incredible. Same market, right. same actual business. So, you know, medicine, not two dental practices, but right. I look at it as the same thing because right. that other guy if he had spent the time that he was at protests and the time that he was fighting with other people and the time that he was making all these political statements, by the way, if you're going to become a politician, then more power to you. That is not what he's going to do. Right. You know, it was a distraction from growth. It was a distraction from contribution. It was a distraction from making what you want to make happen in your business. And so that's, you know, when I, when I look at a crisis, one of the first things that I told all of my members, we did some, some crisis calls where we're like, everybody get on. I've been through this before. I've made tens of millions of dollars in a crisis. Let me show you how. Mm. And the first coaching was, all right, everybody, you convince yourself you're going to grow. 
And if you get up in the morning and you don't feel like you're going to grow, go for a walk until you come back feeling like you're going to grow mm. and, and convincing self yourself that you're going to grow. And if the walk doesn't work, then sit down and do a Google search on billionaires made during crisis and go read all the stories because you're just like them and there's no way they can do it. And you can't, there's no difference between the two of you. So convince yourself you're going to grow. Yes. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm fired up. This is, this is, <laughs> this is me in my humble uh, impression limited impression of you. This is you and your genius because that perspective and your ability to have, you know, you're looking at the, the whole landscape, you know, yeah. and a lot of people are, are just fighting the fight in, you know, they're too close to the forest to see the trees. They don't have that perspective. So that, that, uh, that message to me is so powerful right now amidst all this uh, craziness that's going on in the world, that this is actually uh, the, the tables are set for you to absolutely clean house right now. If you, if you screw in the, the mindset the right way to begin well, with. Well, and, and Peter, there's this dynamic that we don't understand as entrepreneurs. And if we're willing to accept it, we see that like the world literally has paved a, a yellow brick road to our front door. Hmm. Here's why. When you're in a crisis, the majority of the population comes right to the present and sits right in the present. They're on Twitter, they're on Facebook, they're looking at YouTube, they're in the present. They're just focused here. They're just focusing on what's happening right now. What we talk to all of our members about is not only do you commit to growth, but you orient towards the future. You ask yourself where you want to be and move backwards from there. Because in a crisis, what everybody does is says, where am I and how do I get out of here? Mm -hmm. And that's not how we think as entrepreneurs. You know, as entrepreneurs, we're that tiny fraction of the population that gets up in the morning, travels into the future, creates a new reality, comes back to the present and demands it becomes real. And we're that, that part of the population that can put up with the pressure and the vulnerability and the criticism and everything else it takes to make that happen. And when a crisis hits, if we get distracted by the subject matter of the crisis, and, and you know, I, I, I don't wanna like challenge anybody's political beliefs or, or what you feel or, or how you feel about what's going on, but there's a difference between believing something and going to the protest and, you know, getting in fights on Facebook and changing your entire image online so that you're this angry person who's literally fighting a virus. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm not signing up to fight my mother nature. I, I'm going to just observe and understand what's going to happen. Right. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of people try and fight mother nature. I remember in 1992 during the LA riots, I think, in California, there was like $50 million worth of damage done or something. I can't remember the exact numbers, but Hurricane Andrew in like 20 minutes in Miami did about 25 times the damage that human beings could do. And so mother nature is gonna win. And in a, in a case like this, orienting towards the future, saying like, where do I wanna be in a year, two years, three years, and then making that real, even though the present is not what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. That's how every entrepreneur I've ever worked with who's gone on to do something incredible in the world, that's how they think. Mm, fa uh, fascinating. I, I had a note here to ask you about um, negative loops. People who, uh, the entrepreneurs that wake up still, you know, we're human beings and you gave uh, some clue as to what might, you might do, take a walk, start to inspire yourself with people who have already um, had success in front of you. Are there any other thoughts or, or recommendations that you have if, if an entrepreneur finds himself in that negative self loop? Oh, absolutely. So Peter, first, um, negative loops and spirals are as much a part of being an entrepreneur as breathing air and getting into momentum. <laughs> you know, I, and, and when we look at negative loops and spirals, what we're really talking about is our addictive nature and our addictive behaviors. And 
every entrepreneur I've ever worked with up to, including today is addicted to something like we all are. I'm addicted to process structure and routine. If I don't have that in my life, I have a lot of challenges going on. I'm also addicted to like contribution and connection. And if I'm not getting those things, I have challenges. You know, when I was younger, I had addictive behaviors towards tobacco and towards alcohol and towards things that were not helping me out at all. In fact, these days I've, you know, from, from when I was in my twenties with tobacco and alcohol, Katie and I both stopped um, drinking about 15 years ago. So we haven't had, you know, we haven't touched in 15 years. And I've replaced that with an addiction to exercise and movement. And when somebody says, wait, do you, are you really addicted to exercise? I'm like, look, I go a third day without exercise and I'm like bench pressing my desk. I have to move. I, if I'm not moving, I don't feel okay. And so as entrepreneurs, we have this addictive drive. And here's why I think that is. I have this belief that if you look at entrepreneurs, we are evolutionary hunters. If we went back 10,000 years, we are the percentage of the population that would have gotten up every day, grabbed a stick and a rock and gone out and killed something mm -hmm. and, and done it with a drive and a compulsion and that innate motivation that every one of us has. You know, when I ask entrepreneurs, can you turn it off? <laughs> I don't even have to define what is it. it is. They all go, no, <laughs> right? Or are you kidding? Or they laugh and sit back like, what is he gonna talk about now? And that, that, you know, psychology says that human beings, and this is universal according to psychology, need, need either something external or internal to be motivated. We need extrinsic or intrinsic motivation. For the entrepreneurial personality type, we are just driven to go. And you hear it in our language. If we don't have any place to go, we say things like, I'm spinning my wheels. I just can't get any traction. I feel like I'm not moving forward. So like we literally communicate the fact that we need to be in this forward motion and making things happen and, and using this innate motivation. And what can happen is if we feel like we hit this period of temporary loss of momentum, we will go looking for something that feels like it gives us momentum. And Peter, that can be cigarettes, that can be alcohol, that can be drugs, that can be all kinds of different things. That can be negative relationships that can like, there's all kinds of things that make us feel energized, that change our body chemistry, that change how we feel. In fact, I've, I've had clients that have a negative addiction to fighting with people on Facebook. I'm not kidding. We actually had somebody in one of our classes admit some days in order to get motivated, I get up and I pick a fight on Facebook and we're like, okay, we have to talk about that, you know? And the, the, the reason I believe is when we experience a loss of momentum, we go looking for anything that's going to give us that chemical shift. And in a lot of cases, that is a negative loop. So let me give you an example that's not as aggressive as drugs or alcohol or any of those things, but just consumption. One of the biggest addictions that I see in the entrepreneurial world today is unintentional consumption. You see it, you see it gleefully advertised on Facebook by people all the time on social media where they're like, I'm going to read 104 books this year, two books a week. It used to be 52 books. Like now somebody changed the script or something. Now people are saying two books a week. I'm like, wow, it's gotten even more intense. <laughs> and, you know, here, here's my opinion about that. If you're reading books where you don't have time to, to do any application and you're just putting more information in your head, you're now at a place where the goal is not improving anything in your life. The goal is getting through this commitment that you've made. And that unintentional consumption can lead to a massive negative spiral. Here's how it works. You feel a temporary loss of momentum, so you go unintentionally consume whatever. Let's just call it a book. Then you read the book and you're like, oh, I feel better now because I, I made the commitment to read the book. Then I read the book, so I get some dopamine, some serotonin out of that. But it doesn't really change anything in our lives. So what do I do? I go back and read another book. And you know what happens? A little more dopamine, a little serotonin. 
but I don't change anything in my life. So what do I need to do? Go back and read another book. And when I, when I see this with people, I see it with podcasts, with documentaries, with books. You know, I often share the story of a, a client that I had in Oklahoma who had done the book a year thing or book a week for a year thing. I once went out to consult with him and he was in the middle of one of these and I hadn't really like given him the talk yet that he needed to let go of it. And he picked me up at the airport and I got in his car and when he started the engine, it was like Alvin and the chipmunks were screaming at me. And I'm like, dude, what is happening? He's like, oh, I started listening to books at three times speed because I can't get through all the books I committed to. And I'm like, okay, we've got to talk. So now not only are we unintentionally consuming, but we're consuming at a rate where you can't even process. Like, let's get real here. That's not, you know, that's not, that's not going to help your life. Now, if you want to listen to a book at three times speed and read along with it so that you get audio input, visual input, and you're really imprinting the book, and then you go apply it, hell yeah, any day of the week. But one of the biggest negative loops today I see is exactly that is, and, and here's the problem. Like a lot of other negative loops, we get congratulated for it. It's like, oh, way to go, man. Yes. You know, eight books in a month, way to go. You know, I, I always want to ask the question, what did you change? How did your life shift? What did you apply? How did you process that information? How did you take that learning to practical application so you actually move yourself forward? Because right. otherwise, here's what happens. You do the challenge. Things don't really change. It's probably me. I read a lot of good books. I'm right back to reading a book, turning on a podcast, unintentional consumption again. Unintentional consumption. That's such a great word for that. That's a hundred percent true. That's so true. Um, I, I'm, I have a question for you, but I, I didn't come across it in my research of, of stuff that you've studied. So if it's not something that you have, uh, just let me know and we can move on. But um, being a holistic guy, I would imagine that you've looked into this uh, sleep. Do, do you oh, know yeah. anything about, okay, good about, like, give us some advice. Like, that's something I'm personally struggling with right now. Cause you gotta have the energy to do all this stuff that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Pick up yeah, the stick so, and hit the rock and go kill someone. Oh man. So Peter sleep, um, sleep is, I have this, this, I've had this, this like love hate relationship with sleep my whole life. So for most of my professional career, and a lot of my childhood, I was insomniac. I didn't know I was. I didn't understand that there was a label for it or that it was a symptom. I just thought I didn't, I was really bad at sleeping. And how did and you like a lot was... of insomniac? Yeah, I mean, I know what it means, but how did you? So insomnia was um, oftentimes when I was younger, I would go to sleep at like 10.30 or, or you know, 11 or something like that, wake up at 1, wake up, maybe get back to sleep, wake up again at three, maybe get back to sleep, then finally just mercifully get out of bed around four or 4.30. Mm -hmm. And every day, that first hour of the day felt like I had gone through a prize fight. And it wasn't until I kind of like woke up my body and stuff that I could do things. But what would happen to me was I had the type of insomnia where I would get terrible sleep, terrible sleep, terrible sleep for maybe like somewhere between 15 and 30 days. And then I'd check out for two days. Right. And without like, without, without a lot of choice, like it was basically, I was going to go down and I was going to sleep for an extended period of time. And then I came back and I repeated that vicious cycle and it was horrible. Mm -hmm. It affected my personality, it affected my productivity. It affected a lot of way of how I showed up. And so I, I went deep on how do you fix this and how do you get out of this, this cycle with sleep? And the biggest key that I found that most people don't talk about is circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. So the reason I wear these glasses. Um, if you go deep on sleep, you run into light and you start seeing, and one of the, one of the, the areas of research that I did was how much our bodies are programmed by light. 
And one of the biggest issues that we have in modern society is that we are surrounded by junk light. And you know, these little guys, if you turn this on and you look at it first thing in the morning, the blue light radiated from this phone is brighter than any blue light that nature produces. Huh. So there is a more, there's more intensity to this light than when we go outside and we see blue light. Mm -hmm. And so what happens today is we are throwing our circadian rhythms off like crazy. Literally, when you look at this screen, you get a little shot of dopamine because your body thinks it's natural light. And so there's this addictive quality to the phone, but there's also this reprogramming of our circadian rhythm. So the way that, that I've now become, what I would say is like, like, I'm actually a really good sleeper now. I track my sleep with the aura ring. Most of the time I'm between the eighties and nineties. And the way that I've done it is by having process structure and routine with sleep. And here's the key. A good night's sleep starts in the morning. It starts in the morning by getting up, not touching or even being around electronics, having as little junk light as you can, maybe even protecting yourself from blue light with blue blockers, and then in the morning early, getting outside into the natural light. So if I'm up at five o'clock in the morning, within 15 minutes, I wanna be out in the dark. And you know, people have asked me like, what do you mean go out in the dark to program yourself with light? Absolutely, because here's what happens. When I go out at 5 a.m. in the morning, my body, my eyes, due to you know, thousands of years of evolution, my body knows it's five o'clock in the morning based on the ambient light. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is I'm waking up as though it's five o'clock in the morning. I'm not getting overcharged. When you look at your phone first thing in the morning, your body starts overclocking everything, starts releasing hormones and adrenals and everything else to get you going because you're telling your body the light says it's high noon, but you aren't anywhere near high noon as far as preparedness and readiness. Mm -hmm. And so- if you go out first thing in the morning, you, you ease into the day in a way where you're not getting all the false chemicals and you're not overloading yourself at the beginning of the day. And then throughout the day, getting outside for 10 minutes or really, you know what, 10 minutes is a big ask for entrepreneurs. I know it sounds easy, but it's not. If you can do three minutes, three or four times a day, you'll actually radically improve your sleep just from that. Wow. But one of the, the, the things that really was life-changing for me was I, you know, I, had, I was doing the circadian rhythm stuff and then I happened upon blue blocking glasses and the theory of blue blocking. And Peter, this is back when they didn't make cool ones. Like there's, there's Facebook lives videos where I'm wearing these huge laser shields that were totally blue blocking. But I started experimenting with like these complete dork 999 glasses that looked like, you know, safety man. But as soon as I started blocking blue light, I started getting much better and much deeper sleep. And so the, the key for me, as far as anybody wanting to, to get better sleep is programming your circadian rhythm, getting out early, getting out repeatedly during the day, getting out at the end of the day, and then avoiding electronics in the morning and at the end of the day, or using blue blockers. If you have to be around them, you'll start immediately seeing better sleep. Wow. Fascinating. Uh, and this is coming from somebody who was an insomniac and yeah, uh, yeah not, not somebody who's a natural, like, cause I talked to some people and they're like, you know, you just got to commit or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but you've always, I've always been a night owl. I've always struggled with hundred percent. Um, so it's helpful. Peter, it was really like when, when we say I was an insomniac, like I, let me be really candid. There was, there was times where lack of sleep made me a little crazy. Yeah. There was times where I actually felt like, I don't know that I ever had suicidal ideation, but there was times where I'd lay in my bed and say like, shit, do I need to keep doing this? This yeah. sucks. You know, this is terrible. Yeah. And lack of sleep affects you in so many different places. It affects your hormones. It affects how you show up. It affects how you process food. It affects like the metabolism is affected by it. Your intelligence is affected by it. And I could feel all of those things happening. 
And so when, when I finally started turning the corner and being able, able to sleep, it was like a life-changing experience. So these days, when somebody brings up the topic, I typically talk way too long about it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it because it's something I'm personally working through right now. So I, yeah, that advice is helpful. Um, you talked a little bit about morning routine. Uh, do you have anything to add to what you talked about just now, getting out uh, in the dark? Uh, the only other thing that I would recommend first thing in the morning is that you hyperhydrate. You drink a ton of water. So, you know, light programs the body, but we're made up of water. And so taking on a ton of water first thing in the morning will help with that whole sleep routine. Okay. Um, let's talk a minute about goal setting. I know you've got some really um, insightful advice on that. What can you share with us on goal setting? Um, <laughs> I think that the way that entrepreneurial world has been taught to set goals is completely wrong. And it's, it's the reason why so few entrepreneurs actually achieve their goals. And it's the reason why so many entrepreneurs don't like goal setting. Mm -hmm. And it's because we've been taught this myth of shoot for the stars. And if you miss, you'll land on the moon. I call BS. If you shoot for the stars and miss, you could end up floating through space without any life support systems until you freeze and die. So let's get real about shooting for the stars. It doesn't really work that well. And I know that I sound aggressive when it comes to this, but it's, it's because so often we talk to entrepreneurs where we're like, okay, you just, and this doesn't happen to us as much anymore because I have so much content in the market about pull the target closer. But you know, we, we talk to people all the time. So you've got a million dollar business. What's going to happen next year? Well, I'd like to see 10 million. Oh, okay. Um, what, what do you have in place that's going to get you to 10 million? Well, we really feel good about it. Okay, that's awesome. What do you have in place that's going to get to you 10 million? Well, my team thinks we can hit 10 million. Well, good for your team. What do you actually have in place that's going to hit 10 million? And what we normally find out is there's nothing there. It's that entrepreneurs have been taught this, this unrealistic goal setting process of we're going to shoot all, every time this big hack, huge numbers. You know, oh, Peter, when I go to an event and they bring up the goal setting expert, and for those of you listening, not watching, I'm doing air quotes around goal setting expert. <laughs> Most of the time I have to leave because you know what's interesting about goal setting experts? Rarely are they goal achievement experts. They're just goal setting experts. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who get up in front of the room and bounce around and yell and scream. And they say, Peter, write down the biggest number you can ever imagine making. Take a deep breath, cross it out, double it. That's your number. It's like, dude, how empty and hollow and ridiculous is this? Why does yeah. this even matter? Yeah. You know, when it comes to goal setting for entrepreneurs, here's what we say. Pull the target closer. Give yourself a goal you can trip on go achieve that goal and then set yourself up for winning. And if you have a team, if you are setting goals where they're unrealistic and your team can't hit them, you need to make sure that you are, you're okay with the fact that you are committing to teaching your entire team to lose gracefully. Mm. And when it comes to business, I don't want to lose gracefully. And you know, when you look at sports, there are sports franchises that are known as losing franchises, mm -hmm. right? There's like, there's, there's huge jokes about them and there's, there's legend about how, how long and how consistently they've lost. Well, in business, you can set up that same type of legend and franchise effect of, oh, hey, around here, we shoot at 10 million, we do about 1.7 and then everything's okay. Mm. I would much rather say we're shooting at 1.5, we hit 1.7, everyone on the team is pumped out of their minds and the next year we're gonna hit four. And for anyone who questions how I set goals, 
we've, we've put a company on the Inc. 500 list three years in a row. You know, I've, I've grown multiple multi-million dollar businesses, sometimes concurrently at the same time. We help all of our members do this. Like we, we had, Daniel Rosen went from 2 million to five and a half million to 15 million, wow. but all of his goals were way lower than those numbers. Mm. And when you set up an environment where you pull the target closer and your team wins, they get used to winning and they do a lot more of it. When you set up an environment where the goals are punitive, your team gets used to being punished and they back down. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, that's that's almost the antithesis of what you hear about goals. 100%. Uh, we we that. actually have a book that we want to write like the uh, the um, counterintuitive process for setting goals for entrepreneurs where you actually win. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and the distinction between goal setting and goal achieving is a big, big one. Big time. <laughs> um, who, who's been one of your most influential mentors in your, in your journey? You know, um, man, I've had a lot, Peter, but I, I go back to one of the most important people in my career was the speech coach that I had in high school. His name's Rick Lara. He's been my speech coach for 34 years. Uh, I started with him when I was a freshman in high school and he was the first person who saw, who like really poured into me and saw potential in me and told me what I was capable of. And I started in his classes. I had a bit of a stutter, a tremendous amount of stage fright. I was hard. I was really um, scared of talking in front of people and intimidated by most people. And four years later, I had won every award for speaking that was available in Southern California. I'd been the speech team captain for three and a half years. He gave it to me about halfway through my, my freshman year. Um, I had won speaker of the year in my school twice. I'd run so many awards at, at tournaments. They actually changed tournament rules so that I had to like wait until everybody was in the advanced stages before I could even compete. And, you know, that all came because somebody believed in me and somebody like said, Hey, I think you can do this and gave me time. And so even to this day, when I need to tune up on speaking or when one of our team members wants to learn how to speak better, I'll fly Rick Lara out and spend a couple of days with him. And it's, it's just like it was when I was younger, like having that mentorship, that reflection of, of the positive and what I do, the, the cold hard advice about what maybe I'm missing or where I can improve that has had a massive effect on me. Wow. So does he offer programs and I mean, is he doing that as a favor to you or is that a, a thing that he does? Cause that's well, he's, he's a retired teacher, but he's worked with a lot of, of our members. He's actually done like one days with our members and he's, he's, you know, when, when people say that there's, there's experts who have 10,000 hours, I don't know about that anymore. I think 10,000 10, hours is a good start when it comes to what I do. I think I probably have close to 20 or 30,000 hours when it comes to what, what Rick did that does. Rick was, he's, I think about 15 years older than me now. We calculated once. He's like 75,000 hours of instructing speech. And so when it, when it comes to like somebody walking into a room and him transforming them in an afternoon, there's nothing like it. Oh, that's amazing. Um, we are running short on time. So I want to ask you one final question for, for, for the entrepreneur that's listening to this right now, we'll, we'll kind of, uh, reiterate or repulse this idea that we touched on earlier in the conversation about just given the, given the chaos and the, the instability and the volatility in the world right now, for that entrepreneur that's out there that does have a dream that is inspired to make an impact, um, but that is questioning or has doubts or isn't sure how they're going to make it. What could you say to them right now and, and to inspire them and to give them hope and to remind them of who they are and why they're needed? You know, for, for us as entrepreneurs, um, I think we need to sometimes 
maybe separate a little bit from ourselves for a second to remember who we are. And for anyone who's listening, I want you to think of the timeline of history that you remember. Think of every person you've ever studied or heard about or learned about that matters to you, that matters to be remembered. Like who stands out for you? I know who it is for me. You know, when I read history, I remember reading about Albert Einstein and the fact that he didn't tie his shoes until he was four years old. And when I was a kid, I couldn't tie my shoes. My sister used to do it for me and she's younger than me. It was super embarrassing. And I remember feeling like this kindred spirit and then also reading that Einstein failed algebra, which I also did. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing this, this reflection of, hey, like maybe I'm okay. And for me, the people in history who stand out, like I think of, of just the amazing human beings that, that showed up on this planet with less than they should have had and, and didn't have everything that it takes and still were able to co- overcome. You know, I look at like Socrates and Plato creating the school of thought that they did and, and uh, Pythagoras standing up for who he was. And you know, Socrates went to his death because of his belief. So did Pythagoras. They refused to say, you guys are right and I'm wrong. They, they like stood up for who they are and they changed the entire world. You look at human beings like like Helen Keller, who showed up on this planet at a time and space where kids like her were thrown in a burlap sack and into a lake with a couple of rocks. And instead, she went on to change the entire world for people who had different abilities. You look at Harriet Tubman, who in the middle of a world where she was wanted for death, went on to save hundreds of people and get them out of slavery through the Underground Railroad. You know, when I think about human beings like that, I am so incredibly inspired Mm -hmm. by who they are. But here's what I want everyone listening to know. If you're listening to Peter and I, then you're not like the rest of the world. You're one of us. You're part of that tribe. You're part of the group of people that get up every day and demand we make this a better place and demand we shift what's going on, shift what's going on around us and demand that we create momentum and make a massive contribution. And sometimes as entrepreneurs, we get so separated from who we are, we forget that that is our tribe. Mm-hmm. That is our birthright. That is who we are. And when we remember that, when we lean into that, we remember something and we can actually perceive the fact that throughout history, there have been people that have had the disease or the diagnosis or the disability or the challenge or the issue or whatever it was, but they've gone on to overcome it and change the world. And you can too. And the reality is that every obstacle that stands in our way is actually the way for us to grow and become who we are. And throughout history, people just like you and I have proved that. So I want you to remember, not just right now, but for always, there is nothing wrong with you and you are not alone. You are part of the most important club in history. So get up every morning, orient towards the future, commit yourself to growth, go out and change the world because that's what you were put on this planet to do. That is who we are. Yes. Bravo, brother. Bravo. (laughs) I can't sit down right now. (laughs) Um, Well stated. Alex, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, True inspiration and uh, a real impact player as I see it. So thank you, brother. I I appreciate uh, your heart and your mind in this. Thank you, Peter. Is it okay if we share with, with somebody where they can get a little bit more? And Absolutely. So we are with everybody, not somebody. Sorry, I got a little emotional there. But I do every time I talk about that. Um, 
So October 6th, 7th, and 8th, um, we're doing something really cool as a company. Uh, I'm filming some content for our paid membership, and we're going to be doing it live online where people can join me, watch our paid content, get a look behind the scenes, and I will answer any questions that anyone has. And so if you'd like to participate and join us really for a three-day, really intense event with hundreds of entrepreneurs, hopefully thousands from around the world, you can go to MomentumMasterclass.com and October 6th, 7th, and 8th, I'll be teaching some of our planning systems, some of our discovery systems, our actual momentum planning product, and a ton of other stuff that typically is only reserved for those who join our memberships. And it's like an incredible way to get introduced to us, but also uh, just a really cool way to be able to see some of our content film live, have all of your questions answered. And if you go to MomentumMasterclass.com and sign up, my team will send you updates. And I want you to know, you give me those three days, and you will be in a state of momentum you've never recognized by the time we're done. I, I, I can't imagine somebody listening to this right now and doubting that. Uh, <laughs> Alex, you're a tremendous leader, my, my friend, and, and uh, keep, keep beating that drum, man. People need it and uh, making the world a better place. Thank you for your, for, your, for your service. Thank you for making an impact. I appreciate you, Peter. Thank you, brother. All right, take care. I hope you were as inspired by that call as I was. Alex really brought his A-game. And I'll tell you, this is a little behind-the-scenes story. I hope it's okay with Alex that I'm sharing this. But prior to the call, he told me that he meditated for about 30 minutes to get his mind straight and aligned and ready for the call. And number one, it showed. But number two, I I was so impressed by that because, you know, Alex doesn't have to do that. He uh, has many, you know, he's built many multiple multiple million dollar businesses. He's got many clients. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm very touched and honored by the level of integrity that he brought to the call and the passion. And uh, I think that speaks volumes for who he is and what he does in the world. If you liked it as much as I did, please share it with your friends. You can tag me at Peter King X or at Wired for Impact on Instagram. You can also uh, tag the Facebook group at Wired for Impact. And Alex's handle is at Alex Sharfin. You can find him on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. His website is sharfin.com. Stay tuned for more episodes coming your way. I've got a lot of great content. And until then, amplify your impact.